world. My name is Klaus Rosten, and I'm the director of the College of Extraordinary Experiences. And this is the business of extraordinary experiences. With me today, we have Catalina Banuleasa, which is not the correct way to pronounce it, but it's Romanian, so it's a little bit tricky. She's a design sprint master. She is one of the co-founders of the Design Thinking Society and has a past, which includes, amongst other things, being the lead UX designer for electronic arts, or at least for one of their divisions, I don't think for the whole thing. And then she spent seven years in the banking sector. Catalina, welcome to the show. Hello. Glad to be here. <laughs> We're glad to and have you. on air. <laughs> See, that's the nice thing about this podcasting. We get to use all sorts of radio terminology like on the air and shut off the mic and invading the other waves. In reality, it's all digital. Let's start with the bank stuff because that's something that fascinates me. You are an experienced designer. You've done a lot of brilliant stuff. You're a pretty big hotshot in the service design field. What did you do at this bank and how, how, what have you taken with you from that? Well, uh, it's a huge history that I have. So I, I, I have this joke. Uh, I say that I don't have seven years from home because my parents uh, took me to, to school at six, not seven. Uh, but I have seven years of, of ING, which is a bank. I, I did a lot of things at ING. I started as a design, as a management trainee that gave me the opportunity one year to go through the entire banking system to understand the system, uh, the whole banking processes. So I went to customer care, to collection, everywhere, risk analysis, everything. And then after one year, because I, I was fond of uh, creating brands and uh, psychology somehow, I went to marketing. I did one year uh, ATL marketing, which is regular marketing. And then because I wanted to measure my results faster and to actually um, take, you know, do something upon you, you evaluate your work. I started doing digital experiences in digital marketing for two years. That was in 2012. And after that, I went to product for half a year. And after that, only after that, I started being, uh, because the job came to me somehow, they proposed to me to be the designer for digital experiences for the internet banking that they had. And it was scary enough. I said, I, I don't have experience in doing that. That was in uh, 2014. But my former manager that was at digital marketing, he told me that, you know, I saw you working and I saw you work as a product designer for digital experiences. So you're just going to be good at that. Trust me. And, you know, I started learning the job as I was doing it. And it was it was a, a really awesome time because I, I really knew a lot about banking, about customers and about what do they need from a bank? What's the frictions? And then was the time when in the internet banking was reshaping. So we wanted to create an experience that can under, can help people not only see their banking account, but do more with the internet banking. So it was, it was two years full of learning and experimenting and basically creating my job and creating the, the, the you know, the, the thing, the, the design somehow lab in, uh, in ING. It was challenging. That was a wild answer. Thank you. That, that was. I'm trying to soak in information here as we go along, and then I'll try to unwrap some of it. So one thing that I, I, I took note of in the sensor is that you did a lot of different things in the bank, and that, I guess, served you very well when you ended up designing digital experiences. How important do you think when going into organizations, when, when tackling a problem, for example, doing digital experiences at a bank, how important do you think it is to first 
learn a lot about the organization versus just getting started from day one? Because this is a test you now face. I I can tell you about the FIFA experience. (laughs) Tell me, oh, tell me about the FIFA experience. That was something I didn't apply for. So they uh, looked me up on LinkedIn and initially I said, no, I don't know. No, I don't know gaming. I don't know football. (laughs) So I'm not going to be a good designer for that. And after three months of just, you know, going out of pure curiosity to the interviews to just hear what they are doing in Romania and what's the company and stuff like that, because I'm very curious. I didn't want to say, hey, I, I just came to the interviews out of curiosity. So I was waiting for them to tell me that I'm not the fit person for that. But they didn't. They did. And they were just calling me, hey, you know, you've just passed on to the next interview, to the next interview. And then it was half a day with uh, my my former manager coming to Romania to just work together for half a day. So that was, after that half day, I realized because we literally had to work. I had to work on flows, on designing some functionalities for the game in just no time. Things were changing. He was giving me some details and I was asking for more details and stuff like that. And after that half day, I realized myself, even before having the response from them that they want me, still they want me, that uh, because I know what questions to ask and where to look, you can design for a company and for a domain, even if you don't know it at the beginning so well, but you know just what type of questions and what is the information that you need and where to look. Let me pause you for a moment because that is interesting. Also, I love how your voice slowed down when you started talking corporate. You need to know what questions. I love that. That that makes it, uh, you're suddenly within the realm of expertise and it shows. Tell me about this. Tell me which are because you've been around, which are the questions to ask? Which are the things to look for in your experience? So um, there are two things. Uh, one, you you need to know what is the information that the company has and what are the platforms, what are the systems, what, how do they operate? So all the connections within the functions, who is designing what, who does research? Do we do our research? Do we have an analytics team? Who does the game design? Do we have a game designer or is it combined with, project management or whatever so you need to understand the roles so that you need to go and talk to those people or participate besides just learning your organization learning how what are the functions then you really need to be listening to conversations because once you listen you get to um, understand also the challenges that they have and also what is the kind of uh, assets that you can get from them but because you listen to the conversations and you get to understand their frictions, you can support them so that they can support you. Because, so a good designer, in my definition, knows what questions to, to ask. That's a truism. So I, I, I'm not going to say, how do you know those questions? Because obviously, <laughs> you, if you're a good designer, you just know where to look, what questions to ask. But then you need to know who to ask. Uh, and that's when you really need to start looking at the organization. And from day two, when I started at Electronic Arts, I was just participating at conversations between programmers because I needed to understand what are the platforms, what are the capacities, what their struggles. Because if you're designing for rockets for Mars, that might be good, but not in a company that's not aiming to go to Mars because maybe they don't have a Range Rover. Maybe they have, I don't know, a very old uh, horse's carriage. I, I'm, not, I'm not referring it anyway at any of the companies that I work, but it, it was just a method. 
before. So you really need to know the context because you can be as creative as possible as you want. But if you just don't have the capacity, you're not going to deliver it. I like the, if you're building rockets for Mars, then hopefully your company is trying to get to Mars. I, I love that. Piece. <laughs> what, what are, speaking in a business sense here, what are three skills or three kind of areas of expertise that have served you well, both in, in kind of the long stint of the bank, but also getting into FIFA, getting into the electronic arts experience? What, what, what served you well? Was it the technical expertise? Was it your way with humans or your patience or what the uh, patience <laughs> yeah, i know that's not i know that's not it but uh, our listeners okay. <laughs> our listeners may still believe that about you so we know it's not the question no go on <laughs> yes get glad we settled that <laughs> i think one of the things that made help me in every job that i had was determination and just you know when I know that I want to get somewhere, I try to find all the ways that I can learn or do that or convince people and just don't stop. So it's, it's a combination between determination and energy because when you're a designer, you're at the congruence of a lot of things and somehow you step on some people's toes and you get a bit of those guys' job, a bit of product, a bit of... So there's it's, it's a bit of a hard time. But one is just um, having the energy and determination. The other one is understanding that in order to have good results, you have to help other people achieve their thing. <laughs> so whenever you know, I had my managers, I was helping, help, my, helping my manager be better because I was also helping myself, so I was helping his interest. Then whenever I knew that I had to get something from the product guys, from the marketing guys, from the development guys, I had to understand what's their struggle because in the end, if you're helping them, you're solving them some problems and then they will help you and then you will be as a team better. Yes, of course, of course. And, and that makes perfect sense. And then it, it's not only about the technical stuff and it, it's also about you know being kind and just caring about some people, talking, not making friends, but letting them know that you are there and that, that you can support them. And then I think there's a mix of skills that I have because I studied programming in high school and then I get to understand a lot of you know, technology, the back side of things. I, I'm not able to code anymore, but I can understand how that works. And then I have marketing. I, I'm really fond of people and trying to understand psychology helped me quite a lot. I was all the time curious about that. So it's a mix of this and that being analytical also helps a lot. Because you know how to just convince people with the right information. But you have to know the person to know what information to serve them so that you can convince them. Let's, uh, let's go from there to a topic that maybe, and I, I honestly don't know, maybe is challenging, maybe is terrible. Maybe you're just going to laugh at me. You are a reasonably young woman. More or less, at least. Okay. Uh, quite when a bit. You ask me, when you ask me what's the thing that we don't want to talk about, <laughs> I should have said age. <laughs> that is exactly why I want to talk about because you're you're a, you're a reasonably young woman. You've done a lot of work in Romania, which for those who don't know where that is, is in Eastern Europe. And I think it's fair to say that it's uh, it's you've worked in male-dominated industries. Yeah. What have you learned from that? What's what are some what are some perceptions that are wrong that you can say no, no, it's not like that really? And somewhere you say it's much worse. I what can I say is that I'm not necessarily um, you know the average voice or a relevant voice for this because 
somehow for me there is nothing that can stop me gender or age so even for, when you when it comes to age i have to fight more i mean to fight more to put more effort into convincing stakeholders or you know directors or c level people that i have a voice and that i know what i'm talking about because at the beginning when they see me because i'm i look fairly young they think that i don't have enough experience so that I can contribute or that I can help them or, you know, that kind of stuff. That doesn't stop me because once I start talking and once I start giving arguments and understanding people and seeing how my brain and how I work, they start trusting me. Of course, when it comes to programming, there's more males at the table. But in Romania, you have to know that when I was working in ING, they were talking about diversity, gender diversity. And they had problems in all the countries. I mean, gender equality wasn't, you know, where they wanted, except Romania. Oh, nice. In Romania, we had more females at the table than males. Oh, I like that. Yes, yes. It was, every, we were, they were talking about gender diversity and they were saying, well, in Romania, except Romania, Romania is the, the case for, uh, for having more women voices um, at the important tables and in the company. But when it comes to yes, but when it comes to indeed to, to development and to gaming, um, ladies are shyer and then um, have um, sometimes maybe. But it's you know it's the programming world that is different a bit because even programmers and even males are more timid and are introverts and it it gets more difficult for them to just but. There's there's gender inequality, but I wouldn't say it's because companies want it like that, but because when you're a kid, you know, small girls play with dolls, guys play with computers. Then when they are at the same age, when they get to school, of course, guys have a lot of experience with computers because they played and they understand more. So let, small girls, when they are at the same table with guys and they talk about computers, there's, you know, a different level of knowledge. And it all goes, it all starts from there. I had the, the advantage that my parents and my fathers more specifically took me. So my connection to programming was in fourth grade. I learned uh, logical schemes and Pascal at the four, in, the, in my fourth grade of, uh, of school. So I was fortunate enough to have that advantage, but there's a lot of parents who believe that girls should study that, boys should study programming. I believe that, well, you should give them the same um, advantage or to just show to girls what is programming and if they like it, they should start doing that and they after that should have equal chances. But it's also a matter of passion because if you don't like it, sometimes maybe you're just forced to do that because more, more money comes from there, from programming. If there's one piece of advice on this you could give to, to uh, C-level executives, what would that be? I can just quote someone from a company. Um, she said that when you bring more ladies in a programming team, they start being more empathetic and females somehow bond teams differently different ideas come from different perspectives and experiences but the quality of the conversation increases okay thank you for that we've now solved that for everyone right sadly this is this is an ongoing thing that a lot of us struggle with both in in our professional lives and also in society in general so we'll we'll leave it for now before it gets to be a topic 
on its own. Instead, I'd like to talk about one of the titles that I love the most that you have, Design Sprint Master. Well, yes. <laughs> tell, tell me about, and, and I love that because it's so, it sounds powerful. Who doesn't want to hire one of those or be one of those? Tell me about being a Design Sprint Master. So you are a Design Sprint Master only if you do the Google Design Sprint Academy, which is a program that Google has only for employees, for Google employees, and for Google experts. And because I was an, a Google UX expert, I had the chance to attend this school. Um, and what can I say is it's, um, it's interesting to be a Design Sprint Master and to actually do Design Sprints, not necessarily having this title. Of course, it can help you because being certified at Google at you know San Francisco in Silicon Valley, it's something and being taught there, it's... Of course it is. Right, okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> My envy is, uh, is, is obvious, yes. Uh, the, the, the Design Sprint is a framework of four days now in which you just go through hell and then to heaven and then to hell and then to heaven and then to hell because that's design, you know, you know better. Uh, but when you get to do that with companies who at the beginning are reluctant and really don't believe that after five, four days they will have a solution to a problem because you start with the problem and then you have you build the solution in four days and then you also test it with users. And then at the end of the sprint, you have a tested solution and you know if you're gonna implement that is mind blowing. And it's mind blowing from two perspectives because it's very fast, but because you really learn to understand what is, I think in my opinion, the ingredients of a really good facilitator for design sprint is that you know you have four days. And in these four days, you kind of know what you have to do, what are the stages. But you go, from, you, go, you go through a lot of things and things change, you know, very fast. So you have to adapt. And really being present and looking at the people and really understanding what are the struggles of each individual helps you do those exactly those exercises or give them that context that helps them build on top of, you know, when you're really going down and you don't trust anymore that you really need to do something to make them move to the next step so i think that when they see how difficult it is to just be down and then have faith in the process and let yourself in this process from step to step and then really seeing more results it helps them understand really why this process works and what does it take to just bring a team to these kind of uh, results at the end. And when you come into uh, a new company, a new organization and say, we're going to be doing a design sprint and they sit there with their arms crossed and say, it's never going to work. How do you, do you convince them by saying it's worked before or look at me, I'm a Google design sprint master or do you hit them in the face? What, what do you, <laughs> how do you establish trust? Trust me, <laughs> I'm a design sprint. No, that doesn't work. <laughs> no, uh, you give them arguments and you tell them what you're going to do and you show them not, you cannot show them if you don't, of course, it's chicken and egg. If you haven't done this previously, you're not going to be able to show them anything. But um, letting them know what's going to happen exactly that you're going to bring people and have research, and then you're going to make these guys look at different perspectives, look at trends, and look at whatever, whatever, and then converge and then do the ideas, and then have that guy who's going to prototype. And then for sure, it makes them curious to at least 
try this because it's you're, you fail fast. It's a five, four days process. Of course, it's not only four days. I have to tell you that in most of the design sprints that we run, we also have time before to prepare the interviews because most of the times there's not enough data in the company on a subject. So we had to we have to prepare some interview before interviews before that or some research. So it's fairly three weeks before and the design sprint. Um, but it's it's two things. It's one you fail fast and it's for four days with the pre work and then you learn a new way of working. So it's also a training on the job that we're selling. I mean, it, it's an argument that even if you're not gonna get to a good result or at least a result that's gonna satisfy your business because a good result is, depends from company to company and depends from what your expectations are. So maybe the feedback from the users is not gonna be good and maybe you're not gonna, you're deciding, you're not gonna implement that, right? But even you, if you're not gonna implement that, at least you have a fast failure and you have a team of people, important people, because we also select people who have to be and who can contribute the best at the design sprint. And you have these guys who go through, you know, a really intense process that change you not only as you work, but changes you personally. And the way you interact with others, the way you just see the world. I've had my share of design sprints, so I know exactly what you're you're talking about. One thing I want to ask about is because we, we've now talked about the fun stuff and the good stuff, but one of the things that I think is also important to dive into for any person, but especially people who work with experience design, is when do you just want to give up? When When do you just think, can I just get a regular job? Can I stop doing this sort of stuff? Can I just sell ice cream on a corner or clean apartments or walk dogs or anything that's not fluffy? When when are your dark moments? I think my dark moments are when I realize that besides my job, <laughs> I don't have time for personal life. <laughs> and I think that when you're really passionate about what you're doing, it, you know, it lures you and you, you really believe that this is your life and it is your life. But at the end of the day, you really need to take time for yourself, to take care of yourself and also to just take care of the ones that are next to you or to bring people next to you. And we, when you're tripped on something and you're really passionate and you really know you have the energy to do this and you have the determination to do this, you just forget about a lot of things. And when, when there is moments, because there are moments with, <laughs> and you know, wiseness kicks you in or just life kicks in. <laughs> uh, when you, you, you need to just take a break and say, I really need to stop for a while. <laughs> and I guess what you're saying there, and this is a common thing with consultants that no matter the industry or the specialization, there are plenty of consultants who can say exactly what you've done, that because the work is meaningful and because the hours are long and because it, it has an impact, it's easy to get swallowed up in it. And then suddenly you find yourself in an empty apartment at 11 at home thinking, what did I not just do with my day, but with my last month? Okay, that's can we undo that because I'm in my apartment right now with my cats? A lot of see, but you have cats. That's good. <laughs> Let, let's but but let's stay with this for a moment. Let's talk about the the experience of the consultant. If we Klaus and Catalina are going to redesign the consultant experience right here on the air on this podcast, what are a couple of things that you think would be smart to change, or questions that would be good to ask? I think. We need peer support more. We have, we need more people to just unplug you 
when you cannot unplug yourself. I like that expression. Somebody who can unplug you when you can't unplug yourself. Kind of like an intervention when people are addicts, just in a different context. <laughs> I mean, besides, of course, there's a lot of things that you can do as a consultant to just, you know, be better. Have, But I think that sometimes you're so high that you really need, you need other people to tell you that or some indicators, or I don't know what. I really believe in the power of people who can... I, I was working recently on, uh, on I'm just going to give this example, on a product, which is, you know, development, personal development and uh, evolution. And then I really believe in the power of a group, or a, a, three, a, a group of three in which people kind of know the evolution emotionally and stuff like that. And then they, someone is maybe at the lowest point and then the two other people help help this guy somehow become better. And I believe in this, you know, this power of others seeing you from outside and just some, but I don't know how can you support a, a consultant because then you need to know the company. And then, but I, that was my first idea. And I believe my first idea sometimes. I mean, I believe in, the, in that gut, you know, what your gut is telling you first. I like it. I, I like it because in some ways there's the, the classic Latin saying of custodia uh, custodis, something like that is who watches the watchman. And one of the questions is who, who consults the consultants? And I think what you're describing here is exactly that. It's somebody who can have the outside view on your life or your, your kind of what you're doing and go in and then with like lightning sharpness, not lightning, needle sharpness was what I was looking for. Uh, then actually pinpoint what should you look at. I know that very well. I think one of the reasons that I'm, if not saying that at least reasonably stable is because in all the work, all the years that I've done tons of work and worked crazy hours and done crazy projects, I've always had a stable base. I've always had a stable private life and, and have had people who, who kind of could unplug me. And, and right now I have my, my girlfriend and my daughter, who are a very strong unplugging force. And I'm very grateful to them because if, if not, I'd get lost in the, in the consulting because it's, it's so work intensive and meaningful and you actually get to have a lot of impact. And it's tempting to just say, let me just do that. But it's also pretty nice to look into somebody else's eyes and say, Hey, let's just be here for a moment. Yes. But I think, what I think it's luring in design in consultancy. It's also the, the knowledge that you all the time with new 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 uh, projects you get and you know you get to learn so much and where we humans are drawn to just learning so you always want you want to eat more you want to learn more so that's that's a thing that attracts you and keeps you into doing more doing always more and more because you just want to eat more I guess it's like if consulting was a computer game it would be one of those civilizations just one more turn sort of games yeah Oh, game design reference. <laughs> Catalina, if you look back and and look at your career as a whole, which is actually pretty long and, and filled with a lot of interesting moments, let's imagine that you're talking to, not you at age 18 or 19, but somebody who reminds you a little bit of yourself as a teenager. Three pieces of advice for, for a young Catalina. Experiment as much as possible. But first of all, be a dropout. <laughs> first of all, be a dropout and then experiment as much as possible. Okay. Because I think, no, so I think education, the current educational system sucks. So if I'm going to probably eventually have kids and they, they're just going to drop out of school, I'm just going to be, do your stuff, baby. <laughs> yeah, no, I understand that. I'm also a university dropout. And uh, I, I'm not sure I'd advise it, but I also see that it's a valuable 
Yes, experiment. I I would rather say experiment. Do what you feel you need to do. Trust that you will get there if you experiment. And then have faith. I I tell that to myself whenever shit hits the fan and whenever it's difficult. And, you know, it's just a phase and it's going to go and things are going to change and it's going to be better in the end. And then it's going to be worse again, but then it's going to be better again. (laughs) So hang on because it's not going to be like that. I would rather whenever things happen in a bad way and I couldn't do anything to change that, I would give myself in, in another part of my life a different perspective so that I could bring in some satisfaction in my life. So whenever you don't have some satisfactions on one thing, maybe you can just bring in on another layer, let's say. So if your job's annoying, make sure your dog is nice, that sort of thing. Maybe put differently. The the last thing, I before we get to the housekeeping and the ending of this, there's, there's a, a question that I ask generally the people I interview, which is give me three experience design tips that you have accumulated that are across industry and can be picked up by anyone who's in experience design. Three tips. First of all, really, there is no shortcut. There's so many people who look for shortcuts. And then we are, because we live in this fast-paced world, we want to get there fast. There is no shortcut. So don't, get, no, don't, don't expect for recipes. Don't look for recipes. I mean, there are guidelines. There, there, there are experienced guys that you can look at. And then, and uh, that's so first is that. Second, try to do to get practical. And this is, you know, this is clicheistic to say from my side. But uh, there was a moment in my life after starting this job, when I felt bad because I haven't read all those books people were were asking me about, but somehow I got to this um, confidence that if I did those stuff, I know how to answer. So I was asking what that book told you, what was that saying, or what was they say, what were they saying in that book? And then they were explaining. And then after understanding, I mean, after knowing what they were asking, I will, I knew how to add value to that because I went through that in real life. So I practiced that even without knowing from knowing it from the books. So I would say that at least in design, all the things are inside us. We already know them, but we don't know we know them because education because of that you know society happened and then we forgot to do things that way so you need to go out there and just put yourself into the, in, in a situation in, in which you have to solve something and try to solve it and then again and again and again and you will learn so get practical as practical as possible try to keep yourself as much as possible from having an information overload because what happens is a lot of people go online read a lot of books do a lot of courses and then they are paralyzed because they don't know what to do and then third don't aim to grow in uh you know managerial position or go vertical i would rather say that in design you grow a lot from having different contexts from being in a corporation and then in a startup from from being in agriculture and then in banking from being you know (laughs) so i would say experiment as many different subjects and different contexts because it's one a team of a team of one and it's one a team of 10 designers in which you have to just play a role and then you're doing that and then you have to work with other guys and then you have to you know put yourself in a team in a larger so it's learning not try aim not to go vertically but 
as a designer, you have to see the world from different lenses. And in order to get to see the world from different lenses and different perspectives, you have to acquire those lenses. And you cannot acquire them if you don't put yourself in those contexts. And this totally. If people want to find you online or physically, where where do you exist? You can, that, yes, they can find me on, on Instagram. Uh, I'm more active on Instagram, on Facebook. I don't use so much LinkedIn. Is there anything that I have forgotten to ask you or something you want to shout at the world or a, a last piece of content you need to get out there or feel we should talk about? Well, there is this you know, rise of influencers, of people who can talk about a, a, a domain very well, like they have been in that domain for years and they know how to do that thing. And I think it's valuable to have these kind of people because they promote something but then I would ask people to pay attention that they should learn from people who talk about design, people who do design, people who study design in university, people who, because you need to see these perspectives, these different perspectives to be able to form um, an image or your image on what design is and to have, you know, a correct way of learning what design and what these guys do because when you read books and then when you're a storyteller and you, you're an influencer and you know how to summarize that from books so that can, people can understand that doesn't mean that you're a designer and that you designed experiences for the digital world and that you can give someone an advice from that perspective because you never designed you never created the product so i would say that for someone who comes at the table and just wants to learn design they should look at a multi multitude of people, people who are doers, who do things, people who talk about that, university teachers, noobs, people who don't know a thing about design. Don't just follow one person. Don't just follow one person. I think that's a, that's a good way to end this. And these are actually our final words. You've been listening to The Business of Extraordinary Experiences. With me today, I've had Catalina Banulasa, Yes, that was good. <laughs> see, see. And I am your host, Klaus Hostel. Thank you for listening.